This is the John Oakley Show podcast. The citizens, when it comes to uh, behaving and doing the social distancing thing, we know that uh, that's now in full force. And uh, it's also meant that certain businesses that up until late last week were still considered to be essential are no longer deemed that way. And uh, they've had to shut down. And that's put a crimp in their style and that of their their patrons or their customers. Uh, when it comes to cannabis, for example, not being treated the same way as liquor or beer, uh, wine and spirits at the LCBO. And that's got the dander up of some of these owners of dispensaries, including Mimi Lamb, who's a CEO and co-founder of award-winning cannabis retailer and lifestyle company, Superette. Mimi's joined the Oakley Show this afternoon at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Mimi Lamb, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing all right. I was better last week, but, um, you know, we're, we're taking it by stride. Yeah, listen, they uh, deemed you to be non-essential. Do you think that's a double standard because the LCBO is stay, staying open, even with reduced hours? It is double standard, and it's unfair to our customers. Um, being in the cannabis retail sector, our goals have always been to alleviate the illicit market from unregulated product, as well as to provide safe access to customers. Um, the decision that was made on Friday um, will, erode, will erode the progress that has been made as a le- uh, with us as of being in the legal industry, and will also open opportunities for um, illicit operators. All right, so you're saying it's counterproductive. Why do you suppose the government decided that you were non-essential and the others were considered essential? Well, we know that the developments with COVID-19 is extremely fluid and the cases continue to rise. So the province is is doing um, its job by trying to enforce the, the measures that it deems as appropriate. Unfortunately, we think that this uh, particular development is extremely counterproductive. Yeah, I know, but uh, can you tell me why you think they've decided that you ought to close, but the liquor stores can stay open? Why the disparity? We know that um, cannabis uh, as an industry and cannabis retail, specifically in this province, is a political hot topic. Uh, We don't know exactly what goes behind closed doors, uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of political power at play right now. All right. So nobody explained it to you per se, but you're saying that you were really in business to try to deter the black market. Okay, uh, we'll go with that. Has the black market then benefited from you being closed as a non-essential service? Well, well the illicit market has been extremely strong, um, you know, leading up to the uh, even the uh, legalization of the cannabis industry. Um, when situations like this happen and legal operators are not no longer allowed to operate, it becomes a window of opportunity for them to come in and to uh, approach customers that would otherwise have purchased product from legal um, channels. All right. You're just surmising that's the case, but uh, we don't know specifically, or you might have heard anecdotally. I mean, anecdotally, we, we've seen it already being played out. We see signs on the street. We get ads digitally. Um, these operators are definitely out there, and they're taking advantage. So how do they operate? Uh, do they deliver, or uh, do the people go and visit their connection? Uh, how does that work on the black market these days? To my knowledge, it's, it's a variety of those. Um, online is still prevalent um, by phone, by WhatsApp group. Um, you know, through a text message, there's a lot of different channels and um, it, it is frankly thriving, unfortunately. With your dispensary, do you think you should have been uh, allowed to at least do pickup or delivery? 
So something like pickup is something that we could already do, and we have systems in place in the store already that would be able to facilitate that while still adhering to practices like physical distances um, at the store level. So even over the last several weeks, we are able to facilitate orders online and payments online and customers. It's very easy for them to come and pick up their product, not dissimilar to restaurant takeout. And so for, for the purposes of health and safety of the community at large, as well as providing access, um, the ability for not only us, but for the rest of my peers as cannabis retailers should have that opportunity and delivery as well, um, you know, especially seeing what has been provided to bars and restaurants and other alcohol retailers. That would be fair for the cannabis industry to see that type of treatment. I'm kind of curious, uh, uh, again, the distinction between the LCBO and individual private dispensaries. It seems to me like maybe the government's chosen uh, the system of control and deferring to them when it comes to alcohol retailing, which may not augur well going forward if dispensaries are going to be ceded over to the LCBO model. Any idea projecting forward that maybe this is what the government has in mind? I can't speak for what the government has in mind. We know that the cannabis industry is still quite new, and, and frankly, all stakeholders are still trying to figure it out and learn and learn very quickly. Um, this might have seen as, as the right path because of so much uncertainty. Uh, what we would say, if the government is listening, is you know, us as private retailers, we're here to work collaboratively with collaboratively with you to build this industry together and sustainably. Still paying rent? Uh, do you still have people on payroll? Yeah, we still have people on payroll. We're still paying rent. Um, the last two weeks have been extremely challenging for us as a small business, and we foresee that as being um, challenging going forward. It was great to see uh, BDC come out with their uh, revised guidance on BCAP um, and allowing access to you know cannabis bars and lounges. So that was a, a very positive development for the industry. What about some of these illegal dispensaries? As I understand it, there are still some who are operating or have decided that, you know, now is the time advantageous to come out and uh, they're remaining open. Uh, there was one, I guess, on Harvard Street that had the blocks put on it <laughs> just by the U of T. <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Is this out of recognition? It is out of recognition. That, that's a notorious one. And it's also quite ironic that, you know, when, when legal dispensaries are forced to close, the illegal ones come out. And then I believe that dispensary even come out, came out with a press release talking about how um, they were going to be operating. The unfortunate part is, you know, when we talk about the illicit market is, uh, one, they're unlicensed uh, operators. Two, the products that they are providing to customers are untested and are unregulated. And three, there's right now no, um, there's no, we have no idea about the safety standards that are being um, set by these potential operators. And so across the board, without having licensed private retailers being able to provide access, it becomes very challenging for this industry. Well, they can face serious fines, uh, but do they build that into the business model? Like that's the price of doing business? I have no idea. I, I would assume so. Um, they've been extremely bold, um, especially uh, over the last few years when cannabis has been legal. Um, they've decided to take that risk, and um, I guess if they're still operating, it's still a good business for them. Seems to be, I guess, in these times where a lot of folks are shut in, uh, they just want to, you know, spark up the bud and, uh, you know, mellow out through uh, the duration. Well, all right. Uh, so you're, you've obviously told us that uh, this seems to be a double standard. I just wanted to make note of that. And uh, I thank you for explaining all, Mimi. All the best to you uh, if and when we get through this thing. 
Thank you for having me. You got it. Mimi Lamb is the CEO and co-founder of the cannabis retailer and lifestyle company, Superette. So the trials and tribulations of people in different enterprises continues on. And uh, again, a reminder that today was day one for starting to draw down on the Canada Emergency Relief Benefit, which uh, does look after people who lost their jobs, those who are staying at home to look after sick children, or they're quarantined themselves, uh, taking someone uh, who takes care of them, I guess. And uh, this is where you find a lot of people who have lost their income, or you're even employed but have no income. They're going to pay you 20 uh, or 2000 a month for four months and you had to have made at least 5000 in the last year although there are still gaps in this whole relief effort and to that the prime minister spoke earlier today he said uh, they're looking into how they're going to address folks with 10 hours a week or less they'll soon be able to qualify if you're still working but making less than you normally would have uh, this is something they want to top you up as well but he didn't give us details and students who won't have summer jobs promising to look after them as well. Uh, so it's a work in progress is what I'm saying. When it comes to this city, I mean, we've got obligations too. The city is burning $65 million a week. That's the rate of uh, lost revenue because of other commitments or because we just don't have revenue coming in to it. The subway system, not as many people riding, not as many people, people being ticketed for uh, violations. So these are drying up as a source of revenue. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.